Welcome to Between the Gutters Podcast, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your host, co-host Albert Lamb, and with me is... Yo! <laughs> I'm always jumping in at the wrong time. <laughs> I'm Drew Tan. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I hope everyone's doing well. Hope all you listeners are, uh, you know, hanging tight, being strong. Um, washing your yeah. hands. Washing your hands, uh, keeping yourself uh, healthy and uh, protecting your your loved ones. Um, yeah, uh, today we're dis- uh, we wanted to delve back into a subject that we've been going over for the past couple of episodes. Uh, it's something that uh, it's something that we've ha- had a lot of fun talking about, and we've been spitballing a lot of ideas about. Um, we want to go back to the subject of event comics. Uh, so if you've listened to our other episodes, uh, we, we, we've had criteria, but essentially they're just really big, uh, well, events that are, uh, created by publishers to artificially, you know, make a big scene and spectacle and have everyone, uh, get this sense that, the status quo is going to be shaken up forever. And of course it's also a ploy to just gin up sales for mm-hmm. whatever titles that they have. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the, one of the events that we've, we might have mentioned, I forget, but uh, one of the events that we've been talking about uh, that we wanted to mention uh, in, in recent years that has come come to pass was house of x and powers of 10 by jonathan hickman and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna open this up for drew so that he can give us give all of us an idea of uh what what was it about that event and uh what made it so special sure so first of all i gotta preface this by saying that this episode is probably gonna be one of our most self-indulgent episodes of Between the Gutters ever. <laughs> I'm eating a bag of chips and chocolates and fried chicken as we're doing this episode. So <laughs> Very self-indulgent. Yes, yes. <laughs> because we're not really going to talk about House of X and Powers of Ten and the X-Men line in great detail. Basically... What we're going to talk about tonight is the answer to a question that one of my friends posed uh, recently. I think it was Ray, actually, who, uh, if you've been listening to our show for a while, he he was on the episode when we uh, talked about uh, Avengers Endgame. But he, he asked me if you could give the House of X powers of 10 treatment to any franchise what would you do? And today, Albert and I are going to answer that question. But before we get to our answers, we'll talk a little bit about Hox Pox. Yeah, or, it makes I sense. I don't even know if people call it Hox Pox. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just easier than saying House of X, Powers of Ten every single time. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, of course, we need to... That's why we wanted to give you, you know, our listeners... Uh, some background information because if we just started this by going, I'm going to give you my version of House of X and Powers of Ten, 
you guys might think that I'm just having a stroke. You might not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> He's speaking this in tongues. <laughs> this, this guy is just eating so much chocolate and fried chicken at the same time. He he doesn't know where he is. He's lost all sense of self-awareness. And he's just he's just turned into one of those dudes at the comic store that won't stop talking at you. <laughs> he's going into <laughs> insulin shock. <laughs> so House of X and Powers of Ten came out last year, last summer, um, almost a lifetime ago, huh? Yeah, and it was a. Uh, <laughs> it was How much. The world has changed. <laughs> exactly, and it's true, man. It, it's 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 hard to when you think about what we were doing when the series originally came out last year. The world was a lot different, man. Yeah, I certainly it's didn't think that my think life was going to be the way that it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. House of X, Powers of Ten was originally um, two six-issue miniseries written by, both written by Jonathan Hickman and drawn by Pepe Larraz and R.B. Silva, colored by Marta Gracia. And it was supposed to be, not supposed to be, it was a rejuvenation of the entire X-Men franchise. So if you guys think back to maybe three, four, or even five years ago, and you think about the, the X-Men line that Marvel has, that Marvel is doing at the time, it was kind of floundering, wouldn't you say? Kind of a moribund state of affairs. And, you know, there were some notable creators involved. I mean, Brian Michael Bendis was writing some of the X-Men books for a while. And, and, uh, who else was there? Uh, I think Jeff Lemire came on for a little bit, and yeah, Jason Aaron had Wolverine and the X Men. Uh, I mean, that might be going like several years back, though. Yeah, but that's but uh, that's a while like ago. even after them, like the, in more recent times, there was stuff like uh, Phoenix Resurrection by Matt Rosenberg, and uh, Tom Taylor wrote an X Men book. I, I can't remember what was, was it. X Men Red. I think there was an X Men Red, and there was also X Men Blue. There might have been yeah. an X Men Gold. I'm so looking there at are all these X Men Gold yeah. was definitely a title. It was written by Mark Guggenheim. I didn't even realize he had written that. Yeah, I think that was the series that got in trouble. Got embroiled <laughs> in some controversy because yeah. uh, that was the one where uh, the artist in one of the early issues. He he wrote some uh, he he in the artwork he hid some uh, some uh, messages. messages yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And ended up getting fired yeah well, yeah that that's a whole thing um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like stuff like that it's it's weird that I remember the real life incident more than the actual stories <laughs> yeah you remember the drama <laughs> yeah that that's because. That was more dramatic than anything that happened in the comics. <laughs> the fact that this uh, Indonesian artist who was a very uh, fundamental Muslim, he, he wrote some hidden messages that were perceived as anti-Semitic uh, messages uh, in a story where, you know, Kitty Pride, one of the most famous Jewish Marvel characters, uh -huh. was uh, giving a speech. And there were like hateful messages in the background of the art. <laughs> Yeah, pretty, pretty messed up stuff. Yeah, um, from what I remember, the other thing was, 
like I don't remember that aspect of it because it I never actually read those comics, but I yeah, from what I remember the one of the other aspects of the controversy was that he was the messages were in support of like a pretty fundamentally uh it was like it was in support of a fundamental political party was what i remember but yeah yeah that's right yeah so it's it's stuff like that that i remember more than the actual story because i think after i heard of that i i did pick up the book from the library um and i couldn't tell you a single thing about it today <laughs> yeah yeah it yeah that era i would say that bendis might be the last writer that i can think of and after that 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 was a period in time in which the X-Men sort of went dark for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Bendis stuff. I can still remember storylines and things that happened. And yeah. some of the, <clears throat> even a good number of the characters that he introduced. But when it comes to the, like the Tom Taylor stuff, you know, I read a decent amount of it. I I don't remember anything other than the fact that uh, I think Matt Rosenberg was the one who wrote Phoenix Resurrection. All I remember about that comic was that he brought back Jean Grey, you know? And yeah, that's in the title. <laughs> if it wasn't in the title, <laughs> I might have forgotten that too. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, like we were saying, it, it was a dark period for the X-Men. Yeah, People were saying that uh, Marvel was intentionally neglecting the X-Men because... Uh, at because the time, Disney didn't have properties. the rights to do. Yeah, right. Disney didn't have the rights to do the, the X Men movies. It was still uh, 20th Century Fox, so that's why they let let it kind of uh, go downhill. Lapse. I mean, I, yeah, n- yeah, yeah. I mean, no disrespect to the people involved in making those comics. I'm sure they were just doing their best, but yeah. we also know that comics is we're in an era of comics that's. More than ever, it's editorially driven as yeah. opposed to creator driven. I mean, if you look back into the recent history of comics, right? Like the 90s was artist driven comics. And then the early 2000s, we had the rise of writer driven comics. Yeah. And, and now we're just in this era where things are editorially driven. We're not really... Uh, it, at the big two, it gets harder and harder to see um, kind of the... I guess pure creative visions or the creative chances that that people can take, and I think that's a big reason why the X Men line had been floundering for a couple of years, which is why when Jonathan Hickman came back to the X Men, it was a really big deal. Yeah, this guy was already a, a big name at Marvel. I mean, he he started his career doing his own comics uh at image and came over to marvel what maybe around like 2008 or something i forget exactly the year but right after secret invasion he he got a a nice book at marvel secret warriors which is an excellent read and Mm. from there he 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 got on the fantastic four and then the avengers became a big thing for him all the way up to a secret wars so he, he really left his mark at Marvel. And then after 
you know, the five years or however long it was, he, he, you know, left Marvel and continued doing uh, his creator-owned work again, having built up a solid audience from his Marvel following. He had a his name was a bigger sell now. You know, his name was a bigger sell than a lot of than than uh, a lot of the Marvel or DC books out there. Yeah. So he didn't really have a need to go to Marvel. Yeah. But I, I guess Marvel offered him a pretty big uh, contract uh, last year to come back to them and basically do for the X-Men what he did for the Fantastic Four and for the Avengers in the past. And this time around, he kicked it off with, uh, with, this, with these two six-issue miniseries. Yeah. Came out one, one issue per week um, throughout last summer. Everybody was talking about it. And it was uh, two series that were essentially one series. Like they each told their own narrative, but they complemented each other in a way where I think the intention um, for us as readers is to, you know, read it in the order that they were published. So you're not necessarily reading six straight issues of House of X and then jumping into six issues of Powers of Ten, but they're actually interspersed with one another because there's interesting bits of foreshadowing and, and other t- things like that. Yeah. It was but really I think interesting. The... Yeah. Oh, go no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention that up to this point, there were like three or four, if not more X books. And one of the big things that they had, that one of the stunts that they were pulling was essentially that they were going to, cancel all the other x books for this period of time and you were just going to have those two x books that were coming Mm -hmm. out so Mm -hmm. it would really be this thing that drew attention to a core x story uh, exactly for 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 that given you period of time until they were ready to unravel whatever their next phase was following that exactly i think that's one of the big indicators that this was a big event. So the fact that the X-Men have always had, uh, well, at least for the past like 30 some odd years, right. Or maybe even 40 years, the X-Men have had a pretty big fan base in comics. Even, even if the comics themselves weren't too memorable, we always knew that X-Men fans were out there. You know, there are always people that are, x-men diehards we still have christopher claremont truthers out there man even when Um, i talk to people who don't know comics they there's always somebody who knows they know at least of the x-men or and at least of wolverine yeah the claw guy yeah (laughs) hugh jackman (laughs) yeah so it's not like it's they weren't they, they definitely weren't obscure or anything you know exactly exactly and and there had always marvel had always pumped out multiple x-men series so the fact that for for one summer for for a few months the uh all of the people that were collecting x-men comics well they really had no choice but to 
dive into <laughs> House of X and Powers of Ten because that was the only X Men around for three months. Yeah. So yeah. it it was a really smart move by Marvel to do that, and the fact that it was coming out once a week, everybody was talking about it every time an issue came out. I I, I admit uh, that I didn't read it as it was coming out, but I was still paying attention to to all the chatter. Um, I read it in chunks uh, a little while after, and, and then I got the hardcover uh, when it came out around Christmas time, just so I could own it. But um, nice, the, the thing with House of X and Powers of Ten is that these two miniseries that function as one uh, revamped the X-Men by creating a brand new status quo for not only for the team within the Marvel universe, but it's also a new status quo for us, the, the readers, you know, like it's basically a fresh start so that new readers can just jump in and, and follow along this uh, sprawling saga. And after these 12 issues were completed, they launched the Dawn of X, which is uh, just what they're calling the line of X-Men books now. So Jonathan Hickman is overseeing it. He's not writing every title personally, but I'm pretty sure he has creative or editorial input over most of them or over all of them. Now we're at a point where there's been a ton of X-Men books. They're back at that point where I guess you could even say that there are too many X-Men comics probably. Yeah. Too many to to keep up with. <laughs> and we're right now in the midst of Ten of Swords, which is their massive uh crossover right now. But uh all of that is just to talk about the the context of what made Hawks Pox such a big deal, what made it such a big event. Um I think the thing that stands out to me is is just how much of an impact it had and on the readership because it hadn't it never for a long time like people didn't really seem to to get super excited about any particular events or anything big that was going on in comics. I mean, Marvel and DC would they would always have one or two or even more events throughout the year. And you'd never hear people uh, talking about them. Like there wasn't a whole lot of buzz where people were all over the internet or in comic stores were having conversations about, oh, what do you think is going to happen next? Or why did they do this? Why did these characters do that? Where's the story going? But for some reason, House of X, Powers of Ten tapped into that. And everybody was just constantly talking about it every every week. Mm. They found a way to make it fresh again and, you know, give people that feeling of excitement that, you know, comics had been missing for a while. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I I think that excitement in this X-Men revamp it's just it's just something that is fun to think about, and I, I think that's why when 
when uh, the question was posed, if you could give the House of X powers of 10 treatment to any franchise, what would you do? I think that's why that the reason why that question is so fun to answer as a superhero fan is because we all have any superhero fan, right? We all have these uh, fantasy books in our heads where we dream about, oh, if only there someone would do like the best X-Men story or the best yeah. Avengers story, you know, like what would it be like? How would, how would it look? Like what would, it's a pretty common conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So do you want to answer the question, Albert, or was there anything else that you wanted to discuss in terms of uh, um, the Hoxpox phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, I guess I was just wondering if you had, like, a brief synopsis of it without, you know, just, I, I don't even know if it's something that you can describe in, like, one or two sentences. Uh, I mean, if not, by all means, everybody should go and check it out. Jonathan Hickman is spectacular. <laughs> yeah, if, if I had to give a brief uh, synopsis, I would say House of X basically reveals uh, a secret history of the X-Men. Um, and it also sets up the X-Men in a, with a new status quo where they are, mutants are now their own nation. Every mutant is now an X-Men, <laughs> essentially. They have their uh -huh. own island nation of Krakoa. And... The series, the miniseries, explores how they're able to function. How did it, basically, how did it happen? How they were able to operate as a nation? How do they have their own sovereignty? How do the other nations and how did the rest? How does the rest of the world react to that? Um, and then, Powers of Ten basically looks at different future timelines, and and that's probably this the, of the two miniseries. That's the one that probably requires um more careful reading because there's a it's it's non non-linear time keeps skipping around and you just have to follow it along but i think it's also the series the mini series that gives clues as to the potential uh future of what can happen in the stories you know um mm -hmm. and, and that's basically like the a really brief bare bones summary and i think what makes it really successful is that it not only does it give the x-men a fresh status quo that they've never truly had before but it also is a big enough sandbox where all these different creators that have been invited to work on x-men line they kind of have a lot of freedom to do new types of x-men stories that we haven't seen before you know okay no that that totally makes sense I, I have to admit before we go any further that I didn't actually read it. Um, I still haven't read it, but I know I, I'm a fan you have of the hardcover though. Yeah, exactly. So I'm a fan of Hickman and I knew that when it came out that it was something that I had to get. So I did purchase a hardcover, but I just haven't gotten around to reading it just because well, we got a ton of comics and I'm constantly going through I'm constantly reading something, so, you know, eventually yep. I'll get to it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I think that's a 
good basis of in uh, of knowledge and understanding for what hox pox is and um uh yeah when when i was thinking about this question i was i was a little it was a little hard for me because i i know that i could i could have just started from scratch and uh i could have done just about anything but i felt i still felt like i needed to know what yeah, at least thematically what uh, Jonathan and Hickman was doing with Hoxpox, if, if only so that I could see if I could apply it to anything, uh, any franchise of my choice. Um, mm-hmm. So well, the thing is, is, is that I think thematically, the way the way we answered the, this question is thematically, you can do whatever you want, you know, like you're in terms of like your plot or ideas, it doesn't have to mirror the Jonathan Hickman story, but the, yeah, 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 yeah. the, the only thing, the only uh, parameters that we uh, held ourselves to is that we have to start with two six issue miniseries and then a line of comics that arises in the aftermath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I accept that. And I still, I, I yeah, it, it's still, it was still uh, useful for me to know. So um, I, yeah, I'm I'm totally behind that. Um, so, yeah, when this question was proposed to me, I really it it was kind of a a throwaway question, just kind of kind of the one of many questions that we have when we when we're just kind of messing around and we're just talking comics, talking shop, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't really have an answer at the at the moment. Uh, it, it wasn't something where I was like, "Oh, I know what the perfect thing would be," and I, I uh, and I really had to think about it for. Man, I I don't even remember when you proposed this question, but it, it might have been like a month now. <laughs> so, uh, so one of yeah, the things, at least a couple of weeks. You put thought into this, man. I did. I did. I I can honestly say it wasn't until the last week or maybe even two weeks that that I was finally able to put something into it or or get something out of it, rather. Um, So -hmm. one of the things that I noticed about uh, Hoxpox, I'm just going to call it Hoxpox because it's easier than saying all that. But one of the things (laughs) I noticed about Hoxpox was it it took all of the mutants in the Marvel universe and decide and it, yeah, it, it re it reset their status quo and made it so that you could tell these fresh new stories, like like Drew was saying earlier. So I had to ask myself, uh, if I was going to do something like that at DC, what what property uh, would 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 make the most sense? And, um, any reason why you, uh, went to DC with your idea? Uh, honestly, I thought when the, when the question was first proposed, it was if I could do anything at DC and do a Hoxpox version of DC, oh, uh, okay. what would I do? No, choose? it could so be anything. Okay. Uh, so I guess that was just a misunderstanding or a uh, misunderstanding on my part, but I, I don't regret it. Like I'm, I'm fine with this the idea that i ultimately ended up uh going with so Mm -hmm. yeah so one of the things that uh i noticed was uh 
what Jonathan Hickman did was he he took all of the mutants in the Marvel universe, which gives you just a whole bunch of characters to play with. And I was one, I I was thinking about what properties in the DC universe had that same number of uh had the same number of characters that you would work with because the DC universe they have metahumans or which are I I don't, I don't even remember yeah. what the specific term for their version of mutants are but essentially they're people who are who have special genes that give them a higher likelihood of receiving superpowers but they don't call them mutants <laughs> yeah you know yeah. i think they are just called metahumans yeah i think yeah i i feel like that's that's essentially or that's that's what they are so but there there isn't really a book that's centered around that treats them as a race of people or as a people's group you know so yeah exactly the, there isn't really that a book with that perspective on these metahumans uh, if anything i feel like a lot of the books in the a lot of the team books in the uh dc uh wheelhouse tend to look like they all tend to revolve around the justice league on some on some level you either have like the titans that are like the sidekicks of the justice league or the outsiders which were the people that were you know rejected by the justice league or (laughs) <laughs> you know the J- JSA, which is kind of the the Precursor. forefathers of the Justice League. So they're all yeah. They to me they've always been some all of although there have been a lot of team books at uh, DC. They they've all tied. They're all very tightly tied to one another, uh, even though they're different. But one book did stand out to me, which was. The Legion of Superheroes, which was, it was an idea that came out in, I don't even remember what year. It's it's a it's a much older idea. It, it came out sixties, probably in the sixties, and it was originally a much actually more... I just looked it up late fifties, man. Okay, okay, so it came out in the late fifties, and uh, the Legion of Superheroes was a comic that took place in the in the future, in the thirty first century, I believe, and it takes place in a world where so I, I do remember reading this on Wikipedia, but they were initially introduced and they were meant to be a one off uh one off story where these superheroes from the future come to Earth to meet Superboy mm-hmm. and, you know, hijinks ensue. But I I guess these uh these superheroes were so popular that they decided to expand on that world and it turns out what happens in the 31st century is there is a united a united government of planets kind of like star trek or something like that and you have uh initially what they were called was they were a clubhouse of superheroes but they've since been reimagined as an army of superhero kids from across the galaxy from all these different planets Child soldiers. Child soldiers. Uh, that's I love it. <laughs> it's one way to look at them. Yes, they're ch- child soldiers. Um, so the original stories that came out were always very, they were silly, you know, like just kind of like 
they're going to fight purple people eaters or something like that, you know? <laughs> um, Silver Age nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Just really goofy, kind of harmless stuff. But it always jumped out to me because it was one of the superhero books that weren't really tied to the Justice League mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and because it was about this galaxy spanning team of superheroes an army it it meant that there'd be a lot of them to work with and and to be honest since it was a book that wasn't the you know related to the justice league like at marvel the thing about marvel comics was i felt like each team had its own individual hook that made it pretty unique from all the other teams so you had like the Avengers that were the premier superhero team. You had the X-Men that were kind of the outsiders and the activists. The Fantastic Fours thing was they were a family. You know, the Thunderbolts are criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there weren't really... It, it felt like at Marvel, you just had a lot of variety. But at DC, again, um, a lot of the teams were tied to the Justice League, except for the Suicide Squad and the Legions. The Legion of Superheroes, but mm-hmm. I I always liked the Legion of Superheroes in concept, but I just never got a story that I really you know I never got the one story that was so awesome that would make me love the Legion you know so yeah. so yeah I was thinking about it I was like okay that that was where I started out I was like okay I want to do the Legion of Superheroes so I would do two books. And they'd be the Legion of Superheroes. And uh, so it'd be about, you know, a future society of a federation of planets where each planet offers up these kids to protect the universe or the galaxy. I forget which is bigger. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. The universe and is bigger. The Okay. Because so there are multiple the, galaxies in the universe. Okay. See, you're a smart man, and you you have educated me this day. So, I, yeah, man, I thank I went you, to UC good Davis. Sir. <laughs> I went to UC Davis, man. So I got my education. <laughs> Edumacation, sweet, sweet. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I wanted to do. I wanted to approach the franchise of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, and initially, my first idea was, okay, they're soldiers. They're child soldiers, as we, as we mentioned. <laughs> and my first thought was to do a war story because, you know, what, what, you know, what, what story about soldiers doesn't have them fighting a war? But I found very quickly, like, thinking about it, that it, it wasn't an idea that had too much appeal to me. And I found myself really thinking and looking at where I would find my 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 in for the Legion of Superheroes. For all of you listeners, you have to know about Albert. He he really loves children, so the idea of putting them in harm's way and possibly even getting hurt <laughs> and dying that he can't have that. I can't even begin to tell you where in that sentence the worst part of it is because there are just so many wrong things in that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) So many wrong things in that sentence. 
So, um, yeah, so I, I, I thought about it, and eventually it came to me that one of the things that really jumped out to me, especially now, is the idea of um, utopias. Uh, so a utopia is essentially a, like the perfect world where you've solved hunger and plague and war and there's peace. And one of the things that always jumped out to me about the Legion of Superheroes was that they come from a future where, you know, they've united all these alien planets and they've brought peace to the, for, for the most part, they've brought peace to the, to the gal universe, sorry, <laughs> to the universe, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a true utopia in the sense that, you know, they they still have conflict of some sort. But you know, for the most part, they've they've solved most of the most of the problems of society. And I was thinking about that idea of utopia, and in light of the way society is now, it it was it just felt like a concept that was has. It felt like a concept that was so, that was so far out now more than ever. You know, it was mm -hmm. it was an idea that that was like it. It really does feel like a fantasy or a fairy tale in light of everything that's been going on in the world. So, what are you talking about, man? We have a space force now. We have a space force. There. <laughs> They're finally getting those pedophiles in the in the deep state. <laughs> we're we're doing it right. We're doing it right, guys. <laughs> we're getting closer to the utopia of the thirty first century, man. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Oh man. <laughs> so I think yeah. So for me, the uh, idea of Whenever they present these stories, whether it be the Legion of Superheroes or Star Trek, they always just kind of the utopias are always fully formed. It's like, oh, there they are. They they just kind of jump to the future and it just kind of exists. You know, uh, the presumption is that if you offer people all of the solutions to all of the world's problems, they'll automatically it will automatically cease to end all conflict. But yeah, I, I maybe I'm just becoming more cynical in my old age. But it's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's something that I have less faith in as an idea. So so I wanted to do two books. Uh, I was gonna call one uh, "The Legion in the 31st Century," and one was gonna be called "The World of." Uh, the world of Legion, uh, Legion in the world of tomorrow or something like that, you know, just, yeah, I think those would be okay, okay. The, the titles that I would go with. Um, and the first thing that I wanted to, the way that I wanted to intro, uh, introduce the world was I, I truly wanted to introduce it as a utopia there. There really isn't any conflict. The, uh, the, the Legion of Superheroes, they're kind of like the Boy Scouts at this point. They go around, they help the universe in whatever capacity that it needs help, but uh, it's no longer 
a malevolent place. You know, there, there, there's no, uh, if there are alien threats, um, it's all handled through diplomacy and the Legion are really just there as a deterrent more than anything else. And, uh, I haven't like fully fleshed out the, the main idea for what I would want to do with the Legion, uh, in, in these two books. But, uh, the main, th one of the two things that I wanted to introduce was, well, the two villains that I wanted to introduce was, uh, uh, I wanted to use Vandal Savage and Starro. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So, Vandal Savage is someone I've always had a lot of affection for. He's he's someone that I don't think gets quite a lot of attention. I think he's I'm pretty sure he's still in books, but you know, he's not the kind of guy who gets uh like Deadpool love or Deathstroke levels of affection. Yeah, he, or Deadshot. Or even Lex Luthor. Like he's he he's someone who's pretty under the radar. But they do use them in TV shows, and um, like I said, uh, I'm pretty sure he's still he's still being used in comics. Uh, he might even be on the Suicide Squad. But his whole thing is Vandal Savage is, was a caveman who was exposed to a meteorite that caused him to gain massive intelligence and gifted him with immortality so so he's the kind of villain who's the thing that always fascinated about me uh, uh, that fascinated me about him was that even though he was he he always acted like he was really high class at the end of the day he still had all of his caveman instincts so he went around like <laughs> killing people like breaking their necks and stuff and he he had no remorse about that whatsoever he was he was he, he had complexities man <laughs> he would he would go to the bar when he saw a beautiful woman at the bar he would club her over the head and drag her back to his cave <laughs> <laughs> but he'd do it with a monocle and a top hat <laughs> yeah because he was civilized yeah exactly exactly and then um as for Starro, he this is another like older concept that gets pulled out every every now and then, but uh, it's basically a starfish, an alien starfish that uh, it's a species of alien starfishes that take over people's minds, uh, kind of like the body snatchers or something like that. It attaches to their face, to the face of a host, uh, which is any person. And once it's stuck to your face, it basically controls your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, in in this story, what I wanted to do was I wanted to have this utopia, but I wanted to use Vandal Savage and have him be... I wanted to have him be this successful businessman in the future who uses his wealth and influence to essentially pick at the seams of society to the point where 
he's gonna get he's gonna start making cracks in the utopia and um yeah i haven't really thought of like what the main like how he would do it or what the main story is but his main mm. motivation would be he's just doing it just to do it essentially because yeah i want to say that he's he's been immortal for all these years and all these years he's watched society develop and the idea of a perfect society bores him he's he's just so old he's lived so long he's become such an old man that all this newfangled technology in the 31st century boggles (laughs) his mind (laughs) he's overwhelmed and driven insane well it's not even (laughs) it's not even that he'd just be he'd just be the kind of villain who who just who finds the the luxuries of modern civilization he finds them tedious and he prefers the chaos of a mad world essentially mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um yeah uh, and i don't know how i would tie those two two arcs in uh but it would end with how i would want it to end is it would end with a small thing. Vandal Savage would obviously be defeated, and so would the threat of Starro. And then, what? But there'd be some sort of revelation about something that about the Legion from Vandal Savage perspective. Uh, Vandal Savage's perspective, where he reveals to the world information about the Legion that causes them to distrust the legion it, it's the first startings of a fracture in in the legion as a whole uh and in these future society faith uh societies faith in the legion mm-hmm. and then that would do that would lead into my dawn of legion storyline dawn of legion mm-hmm. uh, whatever and i would i'd probably do something like four books i'd I'd have uh, the Legion of Superheroes, Legionnaires, uh, Rebels, and Legion Lost. That's probably those are probably the titles that I'd go with. Um, and I haven't nice. thought of like what each book would be about, but I was telling Drew the other day, uh, one of the books, the Rebels book, is is going to be about. Um, it's basically going to be the Legion's version of a comic called Global Frequency by Warren Ellis and various artists. And uh, I don't, yeah, I, I won't give away too much about Global Frequency. Uh, about Global Frequency, but uh, the idea behind it would be, since there are so many characters in the Legion, what we're going to have is there's going to, in in the Rebels book, there's going to be you know a i guess let's call it a shadowy figure someone from within the legion's uh infrastructure or within the legion's organization who decides to start for for better lack of a word a black ops version or a black ops team within the legion and 
it's it's gonna be like Charlie's Angels or something, or uh, where <laughs> where the the shadowy figure contacts in every book. He's gonna this person this character is gonna contact one member of the Legion, and it's gonna get them to go on a mission that's that requ- requires their unique skill set or ability. So it'd be an opportunity to introduce a bunch of new characters and just tell a bunch of good one-shot type stories about each of these characters. But there would also be this sense of intrigue because you'd have this shadowy character and, you know, you'd be, you'd slowly learn what their motivation was and what their ultimate goal is or their ultimate plan is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, the other book that I was spending time on was the Legion of Superheroes, which would probably be their the main book for them, and mm-hmm. it'd be the one where it'd be the focal point of the the Legion's uh, you know Dawn of Legion universe. Um, and in the so what I would wanted to do was in the aftermath of of what Vandal Savage did to the Legion. Uh, we, we now live in the world where even though the Legion are, you know, offering all these goodies to the citizens of the universe, there, there's a growing distrust amongst all the communities. And it starts mm-hmm. off with small things, you know, small innocuous things like, you know, uh, Something like, oh, this guy, this re- this Legion representative went to this one meeting, but check it out. He, we think that he wasn't really there. Uh, we think that he he green screened the whole thing for uh, you know for publicity, something like that. You know, it <laughs> it starts out with like really petty things, and it just continues to escalate and to grow. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to introduce was in in this in the 31st century in the Legion's future, um, the world of Apocalypse is no more. It's it's been centuries since Apocalypse and Darkseid and his ilk has even existed, and I wanted to, I again I don't know what the actual story would be, but. I wanted to take this as an opportunity to do my version of one of the greatest Legion stories of all time, which was the Great Darkness Saga. Um, so this is where I'll probably go into, or where I'll go into the Great Darkness Saga just for you guys listening. But the Great Darkness Saga was one of the Legion's greatest stories. And I looked it up and it wasn't something that really jumped out at me. But for some odd reason, it's well regarded and it's got a lot of love from comic books communities. So, uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it, it's regarded as their most famous story. Yeah, uh, I I did read that story. It was from the either late seventy. No, I think eighties. So it's an older story. It definitely reflects that time period in terms of the storytelling sensibilities. Yeah. 
the art was all right. I mean, I, I think it was Keith Giffen, so it was cool. Uh, I can't really say I remember the story itself too well. It's just kind of your typical, really wordy, 80s-style comic. Uh, yeah. Well, but it, it did it did have dark side, so <laughs> that was <laughs> that was probably the big selling point. Well, here's the thing. So, I I felt like if I was going to do my version of the Great Darkness Saga, I should know something about it, and I tried to read. I wasn't going to read the comic because it just looked like it had more words than I liked. <laughs> <laughs> more, more badly written words than I would have liked. You know, I don't mind a lot of words if the words are well done, but um, yeah. But then I tried to look up the Wikipedia entry, and that was a little too long for me. So, <laughs> so then I remembered. Oh wait. I bought a bunch of DC collector's cards a few years ago, and one of them had Great Battles, which included the Great Darkness Saga. So I read that. <laughs> so I'm confident in saying that I know everything I need to know about the Great Darkness Saga from that card. <laughs> okay, so as far as I can tell, the story is about how the Legion and the future are facing uh, a a powerful threat uh this powerful opposing army and eventually there's this huge reveal that this uh opposing army was actually run by dark side and the forces of apocalypse and as far everything that i've ever known about the great darkness saga was the fact that it, it focused around the fact that there was the revelation that darkness dark side was the great uh threat behind everything so mm -hmm. that is like the one thing that i've ever known about that story yeah because so, I, I think up to that point i don't think anyone had really used dark side besides jack kirby oh yeah see that that sort of makes perfect sense that'd be like so it was it was more of a surprise actually at the yeah. time yeah i mean obviously now sense. like when you look at a trade paperback he's he's on the clearly on the cover but uh, I well, want to say, I could be wrong. I mean, if somebody grew up in that era and knows better, they can come correct me. But I think that when the series was originally being serialized, I don't think people actually expected to see Darkseid. Like, they would... I think he appeared at the end of some issues as, like, a shadowy figure. Yeah. So maybe maybe some people were able to to look at his silhouette and be like, whoa, they're doing a dark side story or he's, he's the, he's the villain of the story. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, it was like, they weren't really thinking dark side, you know, because that was a Kirby character and, right, right. and no one had really used him, um, very much. And, and then when this story came out and it was revealed that it was dark side, that was kind of, a, you know, the, the shocker. Yeah. It's kind of fanboyish in the sense that it rewards that sense of continuity, you know? Yeah. You know, for people who are like, oh my goodness, I just remembered that these people all exist in the same universe, even though they're all by the same publishing house. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like, yeah. wow, Darkseid is in... He, he lives into the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. He's a cosmic being, folks. <clears throat> yeah, but... Yeah, that was the story I wanted to do, and it was going to be about how the the seams of this utopia are falling apart, and the people... It starts out with the people being distrustful about the Legion, about little things, but these little things begin to escalate and snowball to the point where all these conspiracy theories begin to come out, and all the all of these... Uh, various planets begin, you know, disseminating this false information and just starting groups to the point where it becomes just dangerous, you know, because people Mm -hmm. begin acting out on this information. And my version of the Great Darkness Saga would be the revelation that... My revelation would be that Apocalypse... When Apocalypse uh, and Darkseid disappeared... What ended up happening was Darkseid was absorbed into the source wall, but he wasn't truly gone. He became a disembodied consciousness, and he was truly an idea. He he truly became an idea that was slowly infecting the galaxy or the universe with uh with chaos essentially, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it it would be it would be my statement on QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a story about how um, the Legion of Superheroes, this army of soldiers, what happens if they can't, even though they're an army, if they're incapable of fighting a foe that has no physical body? It's it's truly a war of ideas. It's about. It's, it'd be a story about a war of ideas, you know? How do you fight an idea or a thought? Yeah, you can't, you can't punch it in the face. You can't. You really it's can't. It's like all these, all these people throughout all the different planets uh, that the Legion is on, all these different people, all the citizens of, of their planets, they're all starting to uh, fall, into, fall in line by falling fall into holding uh, the, up, the, the ideals of Darkseid and... Um, or just like, I don't know, it, it's from what you described to me, it makes me think of how there are people that get so caught up in their political views or or ideals like that, where they, or I don't know, like conspiracy theory, theorists, uh, and, and like you said, like QAnon, people yeah. that are, that they have such fervent beliefs in things that, are not based in any kind of real uh, evidence, yeah. but they're so they they believe them so fervently that it's it's almost like every kind of um, rational uh, counter argument you have for them they have a, they have an instant response to it and and it's not one that is really rooted in bringing yeah. up evidence or logic itself, but it's it's more of an, a response like. You you just don't know, you know, and and you can't really argue or debate rationally yeah. with someone like that. It's, you're not really having discourse. You're just yeah, that's answering it's not questions. a debate. It's just an <laughs> argument. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that I wanted to include in that in in a story like that would be 
like their their this future QAnon would would it would be built around the Omega effect and Dark Side. I would want that to be the case. And in addition to that, I I would also want to make it clear at some point that Dark Side's influence it's not a matter of him controlling their minds because I what I would want the story to point out is that to some degree the people the peoples within these planets within this confederation there was something in them that was susceptible to this information to begin with they wanted you know? to believe it they wanted to believe it so I don't want it to be a story that's as cut and dry as oh dark side took over all their minds so it, we have to go to the source wall and punch him yeah, so he's clearly the threat, or he's clearly the evil thing here, right? It because it's it's easy when that when it's that cut and dry, but how much harder is it if if the the populace that you are sworn to protect purposely embrace these dangerous ideologies? If there's a part of them that wants to embrace these ideologies, what do you do with that? And like, how does how does a how how would a utopia survive that? And that that would be my story essentially. Yeah, I I really like that idea, and it it makes me jealous that I didn't think of something like that myself. Because you've got some pretty f- relevant, pertinent social commentary in a science fiction superhero kind of story. I do fun. have one question though. Yeah. I do have one question, man. So, so like, going back to the the theme of of like making a commentary on on um on conspiracy theorists and people that are just they cling to kooky ideals and things like that. Yeah. Um, I want to know: Do people in the thirty first century are there any people that believe the Earth is flat? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what. If I was writing something like that into a story, I would say it wouldn't surprise me if they believed that. If they went around and they said, well, we have the technology to take spaceships into space so that you can see planets from a distance and you can see for sure that they are around, it would not surprise me if there were people that were so fervent in their beliefs that they were able to tell themselves, well, how do I know that's not a hologram? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they live in a society where they can travel to all these different planets. Like, they have space travel, and and they can actually see it with their own eyes, and, and they would still want to believe that the Earth is flat, huh? Yeah. Well, we've got ways to prove that the Earth isn't flat now, and people still want to believe that it is. That's <laughs> that's. Yeah. That's regression, man. (laughs) (laughs) Never underestimate uh, people's ability or willingness to regress. (laughs) Yeah, my bad for giving humanity too much credit. (laughs) Sorry. I forgot what measly scumbags we are. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Drew. So, now... I would like to propose the question to you. If you uh-huh. could take one franchise or property 
and do your Hawks Pox story for them, what would it be? Who would it be and okay. what would it be? Okay. So so before I answer for myself, I got to share uh, the answer that I got from Shanus when I asked him uh, this question too. I texted him a while ago and, and he told me that his answer was Superman. Okay. And... And I was thinking about that, and we were kind of texting a little bit back and forth a few weeks ago. And he said that he wanted one of the books to be called House of L. You know, like Jor-El and Kal-El, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so it's like the Kryptonian thing, you know? Yeah. And then the other book would have to be about Lex. So I was like, dude, you could have House of L and Powers of Lex. <laughs> I like and it. I, I, I yeah, I don't know what it would be about, but I just really like those titles, man. I the think th- that would be a great title for the for the two for the two miniseries. The name in and of itself sells me on it. <laughs> exactly, man. Like that would be so so ballsy if DC actually did that. You know, it'd be kind of like smirking at Marvel. It's like you got your powers of ten. We got our powers of Lex. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it's, it's just catchy, man. I dig. But, uh, I digs, man. Yeah, as far as what it's about, you you you'd have to ask Shanus because after I got hooked on those titles, I couldn't think of nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> it was all just white noise after that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, dude, that that's, those are such good titles, man. House of L and Powers of Lex totally makes sense for Superman's world. <laughs> I like it. I like it, man. Good job, Shane. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, for my answer, my answer definitely isn't anything nearly as highbrow as yours, because your your story actually has some thematic content and some commentary to to give it a a little bit of greater depth and subtext. Mine is really just kind of a traditional superhero type of story. I also went with the DC universe and my thing would be a Justice League story. Even though we've already had a ton of Justice League stories, a lot of good Justice League comics. I don't know. I just feel like we can never have too many great JLA comics. Nothing so, wrong with loving the Justice League, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. And my uh, my two miniseries, it, I couldn't really think of anything too clever for the titles. So my idea was I was going to have a JLA and a JLI. So mm. for those of you who are uh, longtime uh, Justice League fans, you know, this is this whole thing is going to be kind of a shout out to the the various history or the, the various eras of the of the Justice League. So the JLA is you know a big reference to the Grant Morrison era in particular and the JLI which stands for Justice League International that's a shout out to the Keith Giffen JMD Mateus era of the late 80s early 90s where that that run of of comics was regarded more as a as like a comedy book or or humor title it was, mm. People think of it as a, a superhero sitcom mm. because it had JLI didn't have a lot of the big name characters. You know, when you, when we think of the JLA and specifically uh, like Morrison's era, that's the big seven. You know, you got your Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, 
Aquaman, yeah. Martian Manhunter, Flash, Green Lantern. You know, that's that's all the big guns of the of the of the DC universe. Whereas with the JLI, yeah, Martian Manhunter and Batman were in it, but you also had mainstays like Booster Gold and uh, Blue Beetle and Black Canary, uh, Mister Miracle, uh, Guy Gardner as Green Lantern. You know, like they're yeah. they're characters. They're not bad characters or anything. I, I like all of those characters, and yeah. I wouldn't even say that they don't have good powers. They're all interesting characters in terms of uh, personality and backstory, mm. but they also have uh, a decent amount of power uh, on a you know purely superhero physical level they're just but not they, recognized <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're not big names you know they're not they're not uh household names people that that don't read comics aren't gonna know who guy gardner is mm. you know but people who don't read comics probably have an idea of who wonder woman or batman are mm. because they're just big names but yeah. blue beetles not a big name but uh, yeah, I would have these two titles, um, and and I, I'm not taking into account any kind of current continuity. I don't I don't really know uh, all the specifics of what's going on in the DC universe right now. So I'm just gonna ignore everything, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you the broad strokes of what my story would be. So so JLA is gonna be the big seven, um, essentially the big seven. I mean they'll they'll have other uh, heavy hitters um, fighting alongside them, but it's going to have the big seven, just like the Morrison lineup. Mm. And in that story, in, in those six issues, I think everybody tends to expect a JLA or Justice League story to build up to something epic and super massive. And usually that just means they end up fighting Darkseid or somebody like that. Yeah. <laughs> at the At the end, he's like the final boss. Yeah. So so for me, I want to just get that out of the way right right quick. Like the JLA, they're so powerful, man. They're they're level one bosses. Everybody else's final boss. So so in the very beginning of the story, we're gonna get Apocalypse out of the way. They're gonna have have to deal with Darkseid right off the bat, and it's gonna take a toll on them completely because they're fighting a war in space basically, and it it pushes them. They they obviously win, but it pushes them to the brink of exhaustion, and and they have to the brain trust man the the Trinity they've got to rethink things and and figure out what to do next. Mm. Meanwhile, uh, the JLI being the Justice League International, the way I see this book, it's it's going to be kind of similar to the Giffen Di Matteis era in a way because I'm going to have Maxwell Lord be kind of the businessman behind the the team. And unlike uh, a lot of the recent comics and maybe even the upcoming Wonder Woman movie, my Maxwell Lord is going to be more like the Keith Giffen, J.M.D. Mateus Maxwell Lord. So he's he's not really a villain. He's, he's not going to be some conniving villain masquerading as a buffoon. He's just going to be an opportunistic, kind of sleazy businessman who somehow ends up doing good things occasionally because his for some reason like his bumbling greed crosses over into things that end up having him to do good stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he's 
he's got his team. It's it's got to definitely have Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. That that's like to me that's kind of the heart and soul of the team. I'll probably have Guy Gardner on there and and just you know lesser tier um, lesser tier heroes that yeah yeah guys that aren't big names and and their whole thing would be while the Justice League is while the real quote unquote real Justice League is is off in space beating up Apocalypse and the new gods and stuff. They're going to build their name and their brand on Earth by taking care of what they perceive to be uh, lower tier threats. You know, just your common criminals and superpowered uh, would-be conquerors or whatever. It Like, the specifics don't really matter, but that's essentially what they'd be doing while the JLA is off in space. And what ends up happening is at the end of the two series, well, the JLA obviously defeat Darkseid. And like I said earlier, it takes toll on them. So what they end up doing is, I'm going to pull one straight from the book of Hickman here. But the only thing that they can do is they got to get bigger. So kind of like what Hickman did in his Avengers, the Justice League is going to get bigger. Except I'm going to go even bigger than that, man. So the... (laughs) They're going to become the Justice League Unlimited. That's what I want to see. You know, nice. the, like the cartoon from the from the mid-2000s. That's that's what I'm going to do. So it's going to be the Dawn of Unlimited or what... I don't even know if that's what I would call it. But it, it's going to be... It's going to become the Justice League Unlimited where you got the Big Seven plus like dozens and dozens upon dozens of other superheroes. And they they have their own satellite base um orbiting the planet so they can truly protect earth um they've got you know a support staff of people that work on their space station and their their headquarters and they have different outposts across the planet stuff like that where they're they're really big uh global maybe even interplanetary organization because they've got members that are from different planets or can go to outer space and stuff. So they, they'll need to establish um, outposts and bases all over the place because now that uh, they've defeated Apocalypse, there's kind of a void. And now all the other uh, universal galactic conquerors are coming out of the woodworks. So, you know, they'll be dealing with the likes of guys like Mongol. And I think Despero has always been a really underutilized villain. Nice. I mean, Despero is actually a really powerful villain, but I think almost every story that I've read with Despero, it's it's kind of hard to believe how he can lose, you know? Yeah. Because he's he should he's a guy that is technically uh physically strong or if not stronger than Superman, but he also has powerful telepathy um on par with the likes of Martian Manhunter. And he also has some sort of magical power too. So it, he he's he's a heavy hitter, man. And I I gotta give him uh, a little bit of love. Yeah. Wait, so, he has magical powers? I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, he's got some sort of magical uh, magic magical uh, enhancement. Oh, like some sort of a. I think it's some sort of a a, a gem or a, a medallion or something. Oh. Um, okay. 
Man, dude, actually, I don't even threat. know if it's if I don't know if it's a gem or a medallion, but but uh, it he it's it's the thing called the flame of Pytar. It just gives him like some kind of mystical boost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, learned something today. <laughs> That's between Too the gutters, big. man. Educational. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that universes are bigger than galaxies, and I learned about the the thing of Pytar. <laughs> <laughs> Despero's magic. Okay. Yep. He is a cool villain, though. Like, I like, I love his design. He's got this, like, he's purple. He's like a giant purple dude with three eyes and like a fin mohawk. Yeah, I was kind of like look. a like a purple savage dragon with the third yeah. eye. Yeah. Before the savage dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. So, so that's how JLA is going to end. JLI is going to end basically with. With uh, the team doing so well uh, in terms of a from a branding standpoint that they get looked upon as as heroes who were able to uh, not necessarily protect Earth, but you know they did they arrested a bunch of criminals and with their marketing plan and all that they they've really built up their brand and their name and. They've become celebrities, uh, and Maxwell Lord's profile has shot up. But the, the twist is that after his profile shoots up, he's going to ditch Booster and Beetle and be a part of the Justice League Unlimited. So with <laughs> his... <up. laughs> yeah, exactly. So from his point of view, he's a businessman, and, and he sees he sees uh, the JLI as the minor leagues, and now he's playing in the big leagues, you know? So he's, yeah. he doesn't need these, these no-name heroes. He's going to run the business side of the justice league unlimited, you know, they're going to make wonder woman toys and, and, <laughs> and, and sell uh, Superman underwear and all that. Can I, can I ask something real quick? Yeah. Not yeah. Me. I forget. So in his original incarnation, did he have telepathy? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Okay. So I guess that was a later thing. Okay. It, it might have, if it was hinted at, I, I don't really remember. Yeah. I'd have to look that up. But yeah, I don't I don't recall. It's been a while since I've read all of those issues. Mm. But I, I want to say that the whole telepathy thing where, uh, like around Infinite Crisis when he was, when they turned him into a villain and made him uh, mind control Superman... Like he definitely never did that in uh, the original <laughs> comics. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. That's pretty silly, right? <laughs> it would have been a pretty big thing to overlook if he did do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th those are the two miniseries, and then it's going to launch into... Uh, I, I have a few books that I know that I would want in the line. So there's going to be Justice League Unlimited. That's going to be the main book, the, the flagship title. And it's going to be the Big Ideas book, where that's the one that kind of propels the 
overarching narrative. So the JLU is going to be focused on stopping threats all over the planet. So yeah, they're going to, they're going to stop, you know, big time threats, earthbound big time threats, but they're also going to be focused on, they'll focus even more on uh, external alien threats from, you know, would be conquerors like, yeah, I mean, I guess Starro could be one of them, and Mongol, and and like I was saying, Despero is probably going to be the the final boss. Nice. Um, and then we're shouting out the other all books, the huh? Old, we're shouting out all the old DC villains today. <laughs> yeah, got to man. Those characters like, are fun. They've got a pretty nice, uh, you know, roster of of older Space. villains that don't really get a whole lot of love and even yeah. when they are used there a lot of times they're in stories that i'm not really interested in reading mm-hmm. like um, a bunch of them are yeah a lot of the space villains are pretty forgotten by the wayside i feel like once every 10 20 years they come out maybe with a star Wars story um yeah and then, you know, Despero is probably just as sparsely used. Yeah. Maybe Mongol gets used a lot just because. I don't know. You know, know what? Um, what? If you've been reading uh, Brian Michael Bendis's DC comics, <laughs> there's at least like two or three. Inst- I feel like there's been at least two or three instances where he's shown his characters, you know in like one or two pages are just beating up Mongol because whenever he needs to do a scene that shows a character beating up some other character, it's always Mongol. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of rough. Mongol's, Mongol's a big, tough dude. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm not mad at Bendis or anything. I, yeah. I, I, I do think it's funny and it, it's, it's just something I've noticed. It's like, wow, he really likes having Mongol get beat up in the background. <laughs> But yeah, if I had a chance to to do a Mongol story, he he'd be uh, a little tougher to take down. I think I would I would want to give him I would want to make him menacing again, kind yeah. of like the way he was when uh, Alan Moore did that story. Yeah, another Mongol story that I remember was that was that always stuck with me was I want to say that it was Tinian, Tinian and Tinian, really. I forget. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. But you know, you you go on. I'll, I'll I'll look it up. Yeah, and then the other book would be the, the the other books would be I would have one called Justice League International. So it would just be the whole name spelled out, as opposed to just JLI. Mm. I would have a book called Cosmic Odyssey. Just a shout out to one of the older uh, miniseries from the later eighties. Yeah, I would have a book called Injustice Gang Unlimited. It would be the flip side of the Justice League Unlimited, and then I'd use the Injustice. I was thinking about, I knew I wanted to have a villain book, and I was thinking about making it Legion of Doom, or uh, Secret Society of Supervillains. But mm-hmm. then I I thought about uh again the Grant Morrison run, and he had the Injustice Gang that Luthor created. So I I figured. You know, I like that name. I'll just bring it back. Nice. 
It's and a, it's the, a the fun f- wrestling name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> New World Order, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Wolfpack! <laughs> oh. And then the, the final book in my in my uh in my uh series or what do you, whatever you call it, the final book would be Deathstroke, the Terminator. And, and I'll get to the Deathstroke book later, but I'll I'll tell you how I see the other books going. So so Cosmic Odyssey will be the space book where certain uh, members of the JLU will be like I'll I'll, I'll create basically an, a cosmic strike force where they're going out and and uh, seeking proactively seeking these alien threats that need to be stopped and it'll also be a good excuse to explore the the cosmic regions of the DC universe which is always fun Injustice Gang Unlimited that's going to be the Lex Luthor villain book where he's building up uh, his own earthbound uh, group of villains, you know, sensing that the Justice League is focused in outer space. It's a time for them to consolidate their power on Earth. So the only response to them is the Justice League International because they're paying attention to what's going on with the villains that the JLU is too busy to keep track of all the time yeah yeah so justice league international it's still going to be a bunch of the lower tier heroes so these are going to be the guys that weren't invited to join the jlu (laughs) (laughs) so it'll definitely have booster gold and blue beetle um and not to say that they suck or anything because i i think the way i see it is they were invited to the the jlu but Booster is so prideful and he has such a high opinion of his own value that he thinks he's too good for them. Uh-huh. Like he, it, in his mind, he can do what Superman's never done. In his mind, he can take down Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. So he, he's, he's dedicating himself to taking down Luthor and Beetle just being his best friend. Um, he just sticks he with him and they, <laughs> they, get, they get a couple of other people to, to join them. What were you saying? <laughs> I was just saying he, he's his best friend. He's being supportive. Yeah, exactly. Very supportive, man. If if there was a, a DC universe of Between the Gutters, it could be Beetle and Booster. Yeah. Actually, I would listen to that <laughs> podcast. I would listen Absolutely. to that podcast. Those guys are fun, man. So how I, how I would want to see that story play out, though, is... is uh, Booster and Beetle, they're spending a lot of time and, and resources into learning more about the Injustice Gang. And what I want to tell in in the story there is is that there's going to be a lot of buildup because nobody expects Booster and Beetle and their ragtag team of nobodies to be able to take down the likes of Lex Luthor and all the villains he's assembled, you know, he'll, it'll, it'll have like everybody, you know, you'll have like all of the major Batman villains, like the Joker and, and, uh, Two-Face and Scarecrow and Bane and whatnot. And you'll have, uh, guys like Deathstroke and, and Merlin and, uh, 
Felix Faust, you know, all, all these, all, all the, all the villains you can think of, man, they'll all be in there. And to, for Booster and Beetle to think that they can take them down, it's, it's pretty ridiculous on paper <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, like that, like these are powerhouses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but, but for some reason, Booster just has irrational confidence. You know, he, he's like that. He's like the NBA player who, who can, who comes off the bench, misses five shots in a row, and still takes a sixth one just because he thinks he's good. And then you ends know? it by going, you know, Kobe or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but the way I want to tell the story is it's, it's going to look like the odds are completely stacked against uh, Booster and Beetle, you know, and their team. The odds are completely against them, but – through ingenuity and hard work, perseverance, and the fact that they just never give up, they're going to have their chance for a final stand against the Injustice Gang Unlimited. Mm. And they get their butts kicked. (laughs) (laughs) Because the point of it will be that they tried so hard and got so far, and in the end, it just doesn't even matter. There's got to be stakes, man. (laughs) Exactly. Uh. They... They get their butts kicked, and it's up to the JLU to save them. Mm. But okay. the the real story that I'm most excited to tell is probably the Deathstroke story. <laughs> so we, we've we've talked about this one for a while, so I think you know what's in store. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so Albert, Albert, what what can you tell us and the listeners about? Deathstroke, the character. What are your thoughts on Deathstroke? So Deathstroke is uh, he's a pretty popular character now, and uh, so much so to the point where, um, over the past you know few years, they've done a lot to make him more of an anti-hero than an actual villain. Yeah. Um, but you know the the very first story or what what he's most well known for was that he was a villain that was uh pest i don't know if pestering is the right word but he was let's say harassing the teen titans uh, a superhero team of teenage sidekicks mm-hmm. and uh one of his most well-known plots was the fact that uh the teen titans at one point end up taking on this new member and you know she's like this really bright-eyed sweet aw shucks kind of girl and beast boy of the teen titans even falls in love with her and develops feelings and you know feels like he's moving towards forming a relationship with her and then it's revealed that she's actually a mole that was put on the team by uh what's death Deathstroke by Deathstroke Victor Victor Slade Slade Wilson by yep, Slade, Slade Wilson. Wilson Deathstroke but one of the things do you want me to say it <laughs> say it man say it one of the things that they that gets overlooked a, a lot now in recent times that was explicitly well not explicitly but that was in the comic was the fact that Deathstroke was actually, uh, he was having 
carnal carnal relations with this <laughs> teenage girl that he put on the team to the point where they were even like they were even like have you two uh done it and and you know deathstroke just kind of gets coy and he goes does it matter <laughs> <laughs> or something to that effect i forget it's pretty gross it's uh yeah yeah i mean uh he's a villain and villains do gross things but that's the kind of grossness that's a little too real and a little too gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so that story was called the Judas Contract, and it, it's something that kind of like how the Great Darkness Saga is, is looked at as the as the greatest Legion. Story. Yeah, yeah, as as the signature story for the Legion of Superheroes. I feel like the Judas Contract is looked at as the signature story for the Teen Titans. Mm. And this was an, another 80s comic. Um, this one, I actually do remember it a bit more because I, I read it a couple times when I was younger. Um, but it's, it's pretty much just like how you described it, man. And the thing that um, I still remember, even after all this time, was the fact that uh, Slade Wilson, who is an older guy, you know, he's he's he had a teenage... He had a few teenage uh, children of his own. Yeah. At this at this point, and and he was having uh, carnal relations with, with Tara. <laughs> you know, the girl that he had infiltrate the Titans. She yeah. Was, she was obviously. He was around, infiltrating you know, like the infiltrator. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> <laughs> We, we might have to put a parental advisory rating on this episode, man. <laughs> Look, I'm not the one that wrote that story. Marv Wolfman and DC Comics, they made that happen. That's true. And actually, if you look, if you look up the Judas contract on uh, Wikipedia, or I think it was Wikipedia, uh, I remember how I remember reading something where George Perez, the artist of that story, he he did say that he intentionally drew uh, Tara to look even younger than she was. So Ooh. she she's like supposed to be a teenager, but she she looks kind of like you know a thirteen year old or a twelve year old girl, like this really small little innocent thing. But the fact that you see her. Uh, in these situations with Deathstroke, it's it's just unsettling and uncomfortable. And I don't I don't know if that was the kind of thing where in the eighties people thought it was okay. <laughs> but well, you see, certainly in, the 80s, in today's world. <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure it was bad in the 80s, too. I was just joking. <laughs> I wanted to make you laugh, man. Uh, you did. You succeeded. You succeeded. Thank I didn't you, know man. that Thank anecdote you. that George Perez went out of his way to make it more uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't know if he was trying to make people uncomfortable, but but I think he... Well, he I did read somewhere to... that he said he drew her to look even younger and more innocent. I guess, well, okay, if it wasn't to make people uncomfortable, then I assume that his goal was to 
to just rip out your heart that much more when it turns out that she's a villain most foul. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Zounds! The thing is, is that that aspect of the story, like you're right, man, people do uh, overlook it a lot nowadays. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure today when, when people think of Deathstroke, they don't think of him and Terra. Yeah. <laughs> they probably think of him just being a a good fighter or something, you know? Like the 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 villain version of Batman or something. They think of him as a a cool guy because he uses ninety nine percent of his brain function. <laughs> whereas the rest of us we use not ninety nine percent of our brain function. <laughs> I don't really know logically <laughs> how that's possible, but uh, wasn't Deathstroke? Didn't he show up in uh, at the end of uh, one of the movies? He showed up at the end of Justice League. The teaser being that Lex Luthor escapes from prison, and he uh, he meets up with Deathstroke, and the the teaser being that. They're going to talk about starting their own uh, Injustice League. And I remember there was a lot of talk about how when Ben Affleck was Batman, that Deathstroke was going to be the villain Mm -hmm. for the movie. For a while, that was like big talk because I think they had pictures of, uh, of... I forget what the actor's name is. Joe Montaigne or something like that. Uh, in, yeah, I don't know. In the Deathstroke outfit. Like, that was a pretty... That was something that the internet was just, like, swarming over like flies. I see. I see. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but, uh... Yeah, yeah. People don't yeah. think about Deathstroke as a, as a pederast. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, he he groomed that little girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I do know that in recent years, uh, writers have tried to kind of erase that aspect of his history. Um, like I th- I think there was some stuff in the Christopher Priest run fairly recently that that kind of uh either retconned that out or or just like i I can't remember off exactly off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure what happened was since in the priest run we're not just in beyond the new 52 but we're in the rebirth era so when superboy punched the walls of reality (laughs) it erased the fact that he was grooming a adolescent girl to be his partner (laughs) i don't know (laughs) to be his love interest let's 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 say that (laughs) does it still count as grooming if they engaged in yeah, it's it's way beyond grooming at that point. But I just thought grooming was a funny word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I I gotta admit, I didn't I had no idea what 
the concept of grooming was un- until like a couple months ago. Really? Now I'm yeah. curious what the context of that was. So I learned about what grooming was when this past summer, all the stuff about these comic book creators was coming to light. You know uh-huh. how there was like this month where every week we were just learning more about a different uh, prominent comic book creators, sexual misconduct. Yeah. So, um, I think it was, uh, I don't even, should I say his name? I probably shouldn't even just, I shouldn't say his name, but there was one guy who was, who was outed as, um, as someone who was grooming women and I I had no idea what that meant. So I had to look it up and then I was like, Oh dang. Yeah. That's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and that's how I learned what it was (laughs) because I I really, I really had no idea. Um, but all of that is to set the context for what my <laughs> Deathstroke story will be, because it's gonna I... be family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am not gonna erase or ignore that sordid detail from Deathstroke's past. You're gonna embrace it. <laughs> uh, I hesitate to use that exact language. <laughs> You're going to write it so that Deathstroke embraces it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Deathstroke is a monster and yeah. he is going to be portrayed accordingly. He's yeah. not going to be some admirable uh, anti-hero or uh, a, a cool villain, but he is he is going to be a pederast. He's going to be a gross, disgusting villain mm-hmm. right down to his DNA. And yeah, and and here's here's the thing. He's yeah. he's gonna be invited to Lex Luthor's Injustice Gang Unlimited, and he's gonna be a key member because you know how everybody does fear him or think he's cool, and and even though he's basically kind of like a normal guy, he's he's always just uh, you know on top of things, and he always knows what's going on, and he uses ninety nine percent of his brain functions yeah. or whatever <laughs> the number is. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently he uses ninety nine percent of his brain function to be attracted to underage girls. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, that's what he's gonna use his powers for. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna just Make it so so that it's clear that Deathstroke is very good at fighting and beating up uh, good guys and and just being a you know a general all-purpose assassin slash mercenary yeah. for the villains. But when he's hanging out at their base and stuff, all the other villains, you know, they they learn about each other. It's kind of like being in a locker room with with your teammates. You spend enough time around people, you start to learn their uh, inclinations, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So all of these other hardened criminals and villains, they all, it's basically an open secret that they learn that Deathstroke has these proclivities towards uh, underage girls. Yeah. And even though he's surrounded by, you know, all these bad people, all these villains. And robbers, <laughs> murderers, robbers, thieves, uh, mad scientists, yeah. magical 
uh, demons, demons and stuff. <laughs> Everybody is gonna hate Deathstroke because they know he's a pederast, and even though they know they need him to win in their yeah. battle against the good guys, yeah, they don't they don't say anything. They just kind of turn a blind eye to it. But like when they're in private, man, when they're just hanging out and he's yeah. not there, they they'll they'll like talk about him and and just talk about how gross he is because yeah. even these killers and robbers have standards man <laughs> i like the idea that like mongol this like intergalactic despot and conqueror is like <laughs> you know he's he's in the in, in the war room with the other villains and he's just like deathstroke walks in and he, he's like this seat's taken <laughs> that's comical man <laughs> so so that's what my deathstroke comic is gonna be it, it's it's probably not gonna be an ongoing series it's gonna be a, a limited series but it'll be a story about deathstroke as this social pariah amongst his peers even though everybody begrudgingly acknowledges that they need him in order to win their yeah. battles None of them like him because they just know he's a creep, even too creeptastic for their standards. Yeah. He's and, scum, and scum. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and the thing is, I know this story sounds ridiculous, but how I want to do it is it's actually going to be a commentary on the comic book community because we know that in comics, there have been a lot of scumbags that use their use their position in in comics, whether they're editors or just really famous or big name uh, creators, they, they use that to their advantage and take advantage of, of women. Mm. Um, and, and there's been a lot of um, revelations of sexual misconduct and, um, you know, just awful things like that in not only uh in recent years, but just like this past summer, there were so many people that were, um, that were outed. And yeah. it's, it's like just one of those things that as a comic book fan, I wish I didn't know that stuff, man. Like some of these people, they did work that I enjoyed and, and yeah. now it's always going to be hard to enjoy that stuff that they made because I know what kind of character they have. It, it, it's like learning, that your favorite athlete or celebrity or somebody, um, you know, is really just bad inside. And it, yeah. it kind of makes it hard to enjoy the things that they produce that used to entertain you when you know what they're really like. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. It's yeah. So, so never meet your heroes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never meet your heroes, man. Never meet your heroes. So it, it, it just, it makes me want to do a story where, I apply that same kind of uh, principle to Deathstroke and he'll just function as social commentary um, for the comics community. And I, I guess even just wider society in general, you know, with the, cause, cause that, that kind of stuff doesn't just happen in comics. It, it happens in like yeah. any industry or any kind of community where, where, where people usually, some kind of uh, older man takes advantage of some younger woman. Yeah. Um, and I want to do a story that explores uh, the, the consequences of that. So even though 
it's a Deathstroke comic, and he'll be the main character. It, it's it's not really about it's not definitely not about sympathizing or understanding him, but it's more about um, examining the ramifications of that within the community um, and how other people react and treat him because. Like I said, he's a character that they, the other characters, have to rely on him because of his his power set and his skills and abilities. But they still kind of find him disgusting. But yeah. nobody, nobody really has the courage to to speak out. You know, yeah. it's like if if some punk uh, bad guy, like uh, like you think the penguin is brave enough to tell Deathstroke to stop sleeping with little girls. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> exactly. Like nobody's gonna go to Deathstroke and and tell him that. And it, 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 yeah, I just want to do a story that explores those kind of dynamics. It's it's really interesting, and I I, I wouldn't know how to like work it into a, a story or anything like that. But like even this idea that. Deathstroke as a character is someone that's beloved in spite of the fact that he does these awful things. Like, that's some sort of weird meta commentary because there are people in the community that refuse to acknowledge or accept these realities. And yeah, that's a good point. They'll equivocate and make excuses. That's a really good point too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, so, I, I, I should do something about that too. Because like, there are a lot of guys when they got exposed for their sexual misconduct, there, there are people like on Twitter and and the so and social media that'll pop up and really defend aggressively them. defend them. Yeah, and and attack their accusers and and things like that. They've the lesson they've learned is you know not to accept not to allow themselves to be shamed or to accept uh, the, you know, the conventional notion that, you know, once you're caught, that's it. And they'll, they'll fight this information war, this, uh, this, um, what's the word, this optics war mm-hmm. to either muddy the waters or, just shut people up by sheer numbers and it's it's interesting to think that they'll do this i mean the way that they love deathstroke is the way that they would behave for um these creators you know yeah. it's it's a weird meta commentary but it's super interesting that's true yeah yeah there would definitely have to be some villains that that will go to bat for Deathstroke because they want to be on his good side and they yeah. they respect him for his skills and 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 somehow that's enough to to make them overlook what kind of person he really be you know yeah. it's like yeah. how the same way that when there's a, a some famous person who who gets exposed for being a creep there's always going to be some crazy fans that are defending that and yeah. and attacking the people that that uh accused or brought up evidence against him. So yeah, yeah. You, you, have, you made an absolutely great point that needs to be included in that story. Yeah, thanks. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's super interesting stuff. I mean, 
this all started with like an event comics idea, but it's it's rife with other things to explore. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because my my answer to the Hoxpox question. It, it it really is just an excuse so I can do a Deathstroke story. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that are listening, this was an idea that he came up with quite some time ago, <laughs> this Deathstroke idea. But he's just been chomping at the bit to find a way to, <laughs> to make it happen. <laughs> you got to tell people about it. <laughs> the, your- the really sad thing is, though, is that I think I thought of this story like at least a couple years ago. And then yeah. now it feels like, especially this past summer, it yeah. feels like it, it's even more relevant than ever. Yeah. yeah. Weird, right? It's it's really weird, man. Yeah. Because I, I never expected to hear like so many of these prominent creators become outed as, as these uh, sleaze bags. Yeah. It's, it's predators. like, yeah, yeah. Predators. That's, it's not good, man. It's not good. It's you, yeah, yeah. You would think that it's not that hard not to be a creep, but apparently, I deserve a medal because <laughs> <laughs> I wake up every day. Me and you, Drew, we wake up every day, and we, for the most part, yeah. we're not creeps, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in our minds, we're definitely not creepy at all, whatsoever. <laughs> we are. We're like the most lovable. Attractive people there is, man. I'm practically a Pokemon. Ain't nobody else there that can match us. <laughs> so, uh, before we sign off, anything else that you wanna that you wanna say? Yeah, I wanna. You know what? For those of you that are listening, um, I, I want you know I want you guys to. I want to hear what you guys' thoughts are. If there's anything that you wanna contribute to any of our ideas we we'd love to hear it just to yeah. be able to talk about it more maybe if fun. we get enough we'd love to do like a mailbag sort of thing at some point um or if you guys have ideas for Hoxpox uh stories for your franchises you know send those to us too at you know between the gutters at gmail.com or hit us uh, up on instagram hit, or twitter hit us up on instagram or twitter we'd love to hear those ideas man Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, these are the kind of conversations that for some reason we just geek out over them and we can just talk at length about. Yeah. Like, to be honest, these are the conversations that caused us to start this podcast. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're more than happy to hear, you know, your ideas if you guys have any, just so we can sit around and gush. And pontificate even more. Yep. Alright everybody. This is Between the Gutters. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to one of the most self-indulgent episodes of our (laughs) podcast ever. (laughs) Peace out. Peace out guys.